tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's Tuesday, June 6th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got three briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the FBI director is under fire by Congress this morning for his handling of a corruption allegation against Joe Biden. I've got the details coming up. Second, Ukraine has likely begun its long-expected counteroffensive operations against Russian forces. I'm going to give you the latest, plus a reminder of why we should care. Third, we are heading back to Africa this morning, ladies and gentlemen, to the countries of Ivory Coast and Ghana. And that's all because rain and some bad market conditions might mean that you're going to have less chocolate and cashews to buy at the grocery store. Later, we close out the podcast with a question from Roger in Arkansas about former President Trump saying that he will ban something called birth tourism. So we are going to talk about that. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. The FBI director is in hot water, ladies and gentlemen. The director, Christopher Wray, will likely face contempt charges for his refusing to cooperate with Congress over an allegation that Joe Biden has engaged in corrupt acts. It is an issue I first told you about back on May 31st. But just to refresh our memories, a confidential human source of the FBI provided information that Joe Biden received $5 million from a foreign national back when he was vice president. And in return, Mr. Biden did some sort of favor for that foreigner. We're not quite sure what it was. And part of the reason we're not sure is that because the informant's information captured on a form that is called FD-1023, well, that has not been made public. Nor has that form been handed over to the leaders of the House of Representatives, which have been demanding it for weeks now after a whistleblower claimed that the FBI was not properly investigating this allegation of Biden corruption. Well, since I first told you about this issue last week, the FBI's leader gave in a little. All right. He provided a redacted version of this form to both Republican and Democrat leaders on Capitol Hill in a secure setting. But that wasn't enough, at least not according to Republican Representative James Comer, who is the chair of the House Oversight Committee. And that takes us, ladies and gentlemen, to today's news. Representative Comer said that because FBI Director Ray would not actually physically give him that form for investigatory purposes, he said, the House is now going to move towards adopting something called contempt of Congress charges. And that means if the whole House votes in favor of these contempt charges against the FBI director, well, he could be punished with upwards of one year of prison time and a fine of upwards of $100,000. So hearings for these contempt charges will begin on Thursday of this week, lasting at least through next week. I'll keep you posted there. In the meantime, we have, well, a little bit more information about the confidential informant and the allegations against Mr. Biden. 
So first, uh, let's start with this. According to the lead Democrat, actually, on the House Oversight Committee, his name is Jamie Raskin of Maryland, the corruption allegation is regarding something that Mr. Biden did on the issue of Ukraine while he was vice president. That is according to reports from USA Today. Meanwhile, Mr. Comer, who of course is the Republican, said that the corrupt $5 million payment involved shell companies and multiple bank accounts similar to those documented on the Hunter Biden laptop. That is based on reporting from the New York Post. So as for the informant, him or herself, apparently this person is regarded as highly trusted and credible, having been utilized by the FBI for over 10 years on various investigations. That is according to reports from Fox News and Representative Comer himself. Now, I should emphasize, folks, that it is not clear to what extent this allegation of Biden corruption has been actually investigated by the FBI. Moreover, I want to emphasize this. The information provided by the informant, even if he or she is very highly regarded, right, that information has to be vetted as part of a proper investigation. But that's the ultimate concern, as in fact raised by Senator Chuck Grassley, who is a Republican of Iowa. Here's what he said about that. Quote, we're not interested at present in whether the accusations against then Vice President Biden are accurate or not. Instead, we are responsible for making sure that the FBI does its job of properly investigating, and that's what we want to know, end quote. So that, folks, is the latest on this evolving story. Let me now pivot uh, very briefly to analysis and opinion. So as I shared with you all last Wednesday, this concern about Biden corruption ultimately comes down to this question. Do you trust the FBI to investigate this allegation properly? Well, as I shared with you all previously, polls show that most Americans do not trust the FBI on this issue. And that is obviously very bad. We're talking about the commander in chief who may have engaged in corrupt acts, especially as it relates to at least Ukraine. Right. It's a country that we have promised 113 billion of your dollars to. And oh, by the way, is launching a major counteroffensive this morning. More on that in just a moment. But the bottom line is that we have to have faith that the FBI is upholding the law without fear or favor. But as Senator Grassley said, and frankly, polls also show, most of us do not have faith that the FBI can do so. And that is why this story deserves to be on our radar and why I will keep you posted. With that, let's move on to our second brief this morning. And we are going to pivot to international news with some very clear domestic implications. And that's because we are going to talk about the war in Ukraine next, a war that is costing U.S. taxpayers upwards of $113 billion as of this morning. And it is a war that is escalating at this very hour. And that's because Ukraine has launched what appears to be their long-expected offensive operations against the invading Russian forces in the south and the east of the country. So here is the latest on what we know, as reported by the BBC, The Guardian, Reuters News Service, The New York Times, and some really great analysis by a group of military experts that I trust at a group called The War on the Rocks. So yesterday morning, we started getting early reports of Ukrainian forces conducting small-scale attacks all across the eastern flank. That, of course, is where Russian forces are dug in. But what's becoming increasingly clear is that these small attacks are the very beginning of the much-anticipated counteroffensive by the Ukrainian military to take back their country, or at least a part of it. 
Indeed, the country's deputy defense minister, Hannah Maliar, said yesterday that Ukrainian forces are, quote, shifting to offensive actions, end quote. And by that, the deputy minister of defense, what she's talking about here is something called probing and stretching actions, right, where Ukrainian forces are testing different parts of the eastern flank to see where Russian forces are weakest or to stretch Russian forces apart to then create weaknesses. Well, as that happened yesterday early, late last night, a dam on the Dnipro River was blown up, right? Massive flooding downstream with major implications for the Russian-held Crimea Peninsula. They require water from this Dnipro River and electricity from this dam. Well, as of this recording, neither side has claimed responsibility, although the Russians are blaming the Ukrainians. Probably no surprise. But regardless, I'm going to be watching what I think we can probably describe at this moment as a pretty horrible development. We're going to talk about it more tomorrow or later this week. But in the meantime, what we do know for sure is that Ukraine has 12 new brigades or somewhere around 35,000 troops, give or take, all to help launch this new counteroffensive. And those men, ladies and gentlemen, have been trained by Western militaries, ours and others, using Western tactics and weaponry. And that's a pretty big change. Ukraine's military has its roots pretty firmly in the Soviet era, from training to equipment. And because of that, there's a lot of speculation this morning as to how well these new troops will ultimately perform on the battlefield. Now, we're not going to know for a while, but there are some reasons, frankly, to be concerned. So let's talk about first what we're seeing from the observers who watched these men for about nine months, actually. First, observers noted that despite the best efforts by Western trainers, there was an inconsistent, ineffective receipt of the training. In other words, the men struggled to adopt it. Plus, they saw a lack of mission command, poor logistics and maintenance, and improper use of special operations forces. As just one example of this dysfunction, junior Ukrainian officers feared making decisions on the battlefield. They kept asking trainers, who's allowed to make a particular decision? Or what's the punishment? If we have mission failure or I make a bad decision, right? And that, observers said, ultimately made these Ukrainian men and leaders pretty risk averse. So we shall see where this all ends up. But I do want to offer one positive development here, at least from the Ukrainian perspective. So, for instance, in the contested Ukrainian city of Bakhmut, where the Russians currently took that city over, well, the head of Russia's Wagner Group, which, of course, is a paramilitary operator that's been sending forces to that city, Well, yesterday, the leader of the Russian Wagner group said that the Russians lost a small village just north of Bakhmut to these new uh, Ukrainian forces. He said, quote, the Russian troops are quietly running away, end quote. So as those battles kick off this morning, my friends, I wanted to share something else with you. Some troubling new reports about Ukrainian troops having connections to or sympathies with Nazi beliefs. So here is the latest on that, as reported by the New York Times yesterday, with a touch of history first. So for years, Ukraine's military and politics have been infused by both allegations and evidence of an affinity for Nazi Germany and white supremacist beliefs. In fact, a little over one year ago, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky went to the country of Greece to drum up support with the government there. And he played a video with fighters from what's known as the Azov Battalion. Well, in response, the Greek government was outraged by the video. They called Zelensky's decision to air it, quote, mistaken and inappropriate, end quote. 
Why is that? You might be wondering. Well, that is because the Azov Battalion, ladies and gentlemen, has said, well, their leaders have said anyway, things like the purpose of the Ukrainian nation is, quote, to lead the white races of the world in a final crusade against inferior races led by the Jews, end quote. Oh, dear. Well, President Zelensky and his government have insisted that, well, the Azov Battalion and other paramilitary groups like them, such as one called the Da Vinci Wolves, they are no longer Nazi sympathizers, and instead they have been reformed. But as the New York Times reported yesterday, that's not entirely true. The men continue to wear Nazi symbols and espouse white supremacist beliefs. Plus, the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense has repeatedly tweeted out or shared images of their men wearing or celebrating these Nazi symbols. Well, when presented with such, especially by Western media, the Ukrainian ministry does erase these images pretty quickly, and they pledge that, as always, there are no Nazi sympathizers in the Ukrainian government. Well, this is very clearly problematic for the White House and Western governments who are supporting Ukrainian forces. Plus, these Ukrainian Nazi supporters, well, they just give fuel to Russian President Vladimir Putin and his claims that this war is ultimately about denazification, which Putin says is really about removing Nazi elements from Ukraine once and for all. That is, just to be very clear, his propaganda claim. So folks, those are the latest facts and data out of Ukraine this morning on this developing counteroffensive against the Russians. I'm going to hold off on opinion and analysis this morning, waiting until I see a little bit more especially on this attack on the dam. But in the meantime, know that your money is being tested on the battlefield, my friends. And maybe your patience, too, as I don't think that many Americans would be too happy if they knew that their money was going to support some likely Nazi sympathizers this morning. More to come. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners. And then in about a minute or two, we'll be right back. Friends, I'm excited to tell you about Arc Seed Kits, like Noah's Ark. And here's why I'm excited. On The Right Report, we talk a lot about two things. We talk about your pocketbook and how to save you some money. We also talk about preparing for global events, like how we could find ourselves at war in Asia. Well, with Arc Seed Kits, you can address both of those concerns at once. The all-in-one seed kit helps you grow your own food for life. It has over 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables sprouting from 50,000 heirloom seeds. And let me tell you why that is so important. Heirloom seeds last year after year. Each crop helps you grow the next. But that's not true of 95% of most seeds that you buy. Those last only one year. That's why heirloom seeds from ARC Seed Kits are so great. It's a lifetime of food security. So go to arcseedkits.com, again, that's Ark, like Noah's Ark, and buy your heirloom seeds today. And if you do, make sure you use promo code RIGHT, like my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T, and that'll get you 10% off your order. So go to arcseedkits.com, promo code RIGHT, and invest in good food and a bigger wallet for life. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with news from Africa, specifically the countries of Ivory Coast and Ghana. And this brief is most especially for you all who enjoy either cashews or chocolate, because as it turns out, both of those mostly come from the Ivory Coast and Ghana. And the supply of both, not looking so good this morning. 
So let's talk about what we know, as reported by Reuters News Service, the Globe and Mail, and the data company Statista. And let's start with something that you might not know. So if you look at global cocoa bean production, there is one country that stands out like a lighthouse in the middle of the night, and that is the Ivory Coast, which is also known by its French name of Cote d'Ivoire. But however you pronounce it, here's the bottom line. The country produces 40% of the world's supply of cocoa beans, with the neighboring country of Ghana capturing another 15%. So if you like chocolate, ladies and gentlemen, you can thank Africa for supplying it. But unfortunately this morning, the supply of the world's chocolate is under threat. So last week, the Ivory Coast was inundated with heavy rains and flooding, which will likely damage the cocoa crop that is currently being harvested now through September, actually. So to put numbers on the amount of rain that they received, they got about five inches in one week. Normally, they get less than half of that, right? And that is very bad because if the trees and the cocoa nut are exposed to that much rain and moisture in the air, especially for extended periods of time, that will damage production and increase costs for consumers. But as bad as that might be for you or me, that is especially bad for African farmers who are already some of the most underpaid producers in the world. In fact, here's something that you might not know. Most cocoa farmers in the Ivory Coast and Ghana make less than $3 a day, right? That's below the poverty line, even in those countries. And that's why cocoa bean farmers from both the Ivory Coast and Ghana use child labor to do most of the harvesting. In fact, about 1.5 million kids are involved in the trade, some of them family members of the farmers, but many of them not. If you're wondering, there have been efforts to change all of that, to get farmers higher payments out of what is a $140 billion chocolate market each year. And there's been a little bit of progress, especially with the four big cocoa bean buyers of the world, which include Hershey, Lint, and Nestle. In fact, they signed an agreement back in 2019 to provide better prices to the farmers. But Ivory Coast's economy minister said about three weeks ago that, quote, the agreement has not been respected by the big manufacturers. Well, that's the latest on the cocoa problems of the world. And you might see that reflected in prices for things like candies and other chocolate products. Meanwhile, let's switch gears and talk about another important product from the Ivory Coast in Ghana, and that is cashews. Although, based on what we're hearing this morning, you might not be buying much of that uh, stuff these days because demand has fallen off a cliff, and that's causing crops to rot in the field. So here's that story as reported by local press and Reuters News Service. Much like with cocoa beans, both the Ivory Coast and Ghana make up much of the world's supply of cashews, although, in this case, both export them to Vietnam and India, where those countries deshell the cashews and then export them to grocery stores near you. But while demand has generally grown over the last, well, 10-15 years, well, production has too. In fact, too much production. And that means too many cashews are out there with dropping demand. And that means, ladies and gentlemen, prices are crashing. That has left farmers in the Ivory Coast and Ghana watching their cashew crops rot or spoil. Plus, for the past 10 years or so, governments in both of those countries have been offering subsidies and price guarantees to grow their deshelling business, to try to take it away from Vietnam and India. But these latest market conditions are forcing companies to slash employment and for some to warn of a coming wave of bankruptcies. 
So let's see, ladies and gentlemen, where these farming crises take us on chocolate and cashews. But frankly, not only as consumers, right? because there's, there's this as well. If you look at a map of Ghana and the Ivory Coast, all right, you're going to see that they are in Western Africa and they're bordering the countries of Mali, Burkina Faso, and Guinea. As listeners might recall, those countries are dealing with a pretty persistent number of Islamic jihadists who terrorize the region. So if a bunch of farmers end up going bankrupt or people become desperate, right, what we've seen in other parts of the world is that these jihadists prey upon that desperation to either recruit a bunch of new killers or spreaders of radical Islam. That is certainly not something that anyone wants to see, whether you like chocolate or cashews or not. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go, so enjoy this next break, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. I got an email from Roger in Berryville, Arkansas. He highlighted something recently said by former President Donald Trump, namely that should he be reelected as president, Mr. Trump will issue an executive order to ban something called birthright citizenship. Right. In short, it means that if you're born in America, you are an American citizen. That is what Trump wants to get rid of. Well, Roger wanted to know what I thought about that and whether Trump could, in fact, do what he is promising. So, Roger, this is an awesome question, and I know a lot of people are wrestling with it. So let's start with this. Each year, rough estimates are that around 20 to 25,000 women come to this country and give birth with the express intent to have their babies here rather than in their home countries. That's according to data from the Center for Immigration Studies. And these women are doing that because under the generally accepted reading of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, all people born in the United States are regarded as citizens of this country. All right, well, what do you think of that? In other words, what do you think about women who come here to the United States just to have babies and take advantage of the Constitution? Well, polls show that most folks don't support that. Although, to be fair, the polling is dated from 2018. But whether or not you agree with it, well, even if Trump were to issue an executive order, I'll tell you what, Roger, it would immediately be challenged in the courts. And almost certainly it would go to the Supreme Court which of course raises the question, how would they rule? Well, there's a lot of debates about this, a lot of people forecasting or predicting, but I'll be candid with you, I don't know what the outcome might be, but I do know this. If the court declines to get involved, right, or if they rule in favor of birthright citizenship, then it would require an amendment to the Constitution to change things. And that is really hard, right? There are two paths, right? One through the House and the Senate, the other through something called a convention of the states. And if you want to brush up on either of those processes, you should definitely check out Article 5 of the Constitution. It's pretty cool stuff. So, Roger, I hope that that was helpful. But the bottom line, the key takeaway is this. Trump or any other president might issue an executive order on this topic, but it is a long shot involving the Supreme Court or ultimately amending the Constitution. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every 
good spy, and every wise American to the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.